We ask that we would experience you today. We're not here just to do church. We're here because we want to encounter with the divine God of the universe. Speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Good morning. We have a new series we're doing called What's in Your Hand? And if you were here last week, you heard Charlie give us a word from Exodus 4 that I'm going to go back over just in case you missed it and to reiterate some things. Remember, Moses is standing before God. And God has come to Moses and God has heard the cries of his people, the children of Israel who are in bondage in Egypt. And God comes to Moses and says, I want you to go there and I want you to, I'm going to partner with you to release them. Which is really cool. You know, God partners with us to bring about his redemptive movement. He always has. He partners with people. He partners with Moses, and guess what? He wants to partner with you to bring about a redemptive mu- movement. Now, for Moses, he wanted him to go to Egypt. For you, he might want you to go to the cubicle next door, which is just as scary, isn't it? Moses hears this, and as he's sitting there, and God's telling him, here's what I want you to do, and, and Moses' response is, is normal. He's frightened, He's, he's been asked, he's been called by God to go stand before the most powerful person on the planet and to say, let my people go. All your workforce, let them go. That'd be terrifying. And we get this because we're terrified if we go, you know, I want to be a part of God's redemptive movement. And then God would prompt and say, good, I want you to step up and speak up to your coworker. Wait, what? I'm sorry. Anything else you want me to do? No, just that. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's when we have that moment of partnering with God and he asks us to step up and speak up, there can be some fear there. And Moses was, was most certainly afraid. You want me to go to who and tell them what? But God loves to call us to partner with him to see redemption happening. Moses, scared as he is, God, he says, well, you know, how, how will they know? How will I know? And as he's standing there, God says, what's in your hand? Which is a strange question. Because God knows everything, right? God is leading Moses through this conversation. And Moses looks and Moses has his shepherd's staff in his hand. It's not fancy or gilded in gold or anything. It is just a wooden staff, most likely, with maybe worn on the end where he's been holding it. He might knocked off the limbs. Maybe he carved something. Who knows? But this is just a shepherd's staff that he's been walking with and prodding his sheep with, protecting them with. Nothing special. It's completely ordinary. And God says, what's in your hand? And, and Moses is very sharp. He says, a staff. Correct answer. Right off the bat, we know Moses is with it. And then God says, I want you to place your staff before me. And so Moses takes this com- and completely ordinary staff that he uses every day for ordinary things. I don't know if this staff has ever had an extraordinary day in its life. It nuzzles sheep. It prods them. That's its daily routine. It's there for Moses to lean on when he gets tired. It's the most ordinary object he could have, and God says, put it down before me. And as he does, God changes it into a serpent, the symbol of Egypt. He's saying a lot right there. But the point is this. God takes what is ordinary in our lives, what is ordinary in our hands, and when we lay it down before him, he turns it into what is extraordinary. And from the heart of our our lead elder, Kathy Gregg, who who brought this to us, saying that this is a word for us for the coming coming future, we're going to take some time and look into this series about what's in our hand. Because it's important as a church, we ask, what is in our hand? 
Now, if I was to ask you that, you probably wouldn't say a staff. You would say a baby or a hat or a Bible program. Throw it down. See what happens. I'm just kidding. As an individual, you have some things in your hand, so to speak. These are things you have ownership of. It doesn't have to be actually tangibly in your hand, but in your life, things you have ownership of, like your, some ordinary things, like your personality. Some of you, it's very ordinary. And you've had it your whole life, haven't you? <laughs> and, and, and for some of us, as we lay down who we are before God, he turns even our personality, as ordinary as it is, into something extraordinary. What about your gifts and your talents and your resources and connections? Everything we have in our life that we would say is ours, that, is, that we just have, we, just, we, we live with it. Even the skills we have, most of them we've just become so accustomed to having, we don't go, this skill is extraordinary. And if you are saying that and you have a wife, she'll remind you that it's not as cool as you think it is. But we all have these ordinary things in our life that we hold. And God says he will take these ordinary things in our lives. When we lay them down to him, he makes them extraordinary. And so we want to kick this series off with something um, what, how would you start a series? What is in your hands? Where do you start with that? And we started with your heart. That your heart is something that is in your hands. It's something that is in your ownership of your life that you hold, that you probably consider very ordinary. You might not consider it at all, which just shows you how unextraordinary you might think that your actual heart is. And I'm not talking your beating heart. Think about the, the, the part of you that makes you you or identity. In fact, the heart is the symbolic place of your affection and desires, and it's found well over 500 times in God's word. And only a few times when it says heart in the Bible is it referring to an actual beating organ. It's referring to something far greater. It's a spiritual heart. Heart is, is most used to, to, in the Bible to talk about someone's complete inner and immaterial nature. That which makes you you. Goes on, it says, it's the seat of our emotions and our thoughts. It's the part, the heart is the part of us that controls our beliefs and our behaviors. And the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. Like I said, well over 500 verses. And just doing a word search on the word heart and studying through it this week has been such a journey. And there's just, there, I, mean, I could go anywhere with this. But one right off the bat that sticks out that just shows the importance of your heart is in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else. Now when the Bible says above all else, you should probably underline it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's, the Bible's saying your heart is the headwaters. It's the spring of your life, and everything downstream of your heart, all your reactions, all your responses, how you treat your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, what you do when no one knows you're doing it, all those things, everything flows out of your heart. And so above all else, guard that. Let me ask you a question. Do we spend most of our time trying to change the things downstream? I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do that. Or do we spend most time on our heart? Just this is rhetorical, don't answer. Just a good question. Maybe something to think about. Well, maybe we'll get into that in this sermon. We have this heart, it's so important. And Jesus says some things about it as well. In Luke 8, he talks about the importance of the heart when it comes to our spiritual life. You know, God, our heart has a lot to say about our faith has a lot to say about our fears as well. Our heart is something that untended, and if we don't intentionally look at it and see what's happening there, it can really take our spiritual life in some places we don't even know. Let me read what Jesus says about the heart. He's talking about a parable, and he's talking about a parable of throwing seeds to plant them. Maybe you've heard this one before. Luke 8, verse 11. Jesus says, the seed that people are throwing is the word of God. 
a little seed full of potential. It's this big, yet it can change, it can change everything. It can grow a crop. It says this, those along the path who have a hard heart, think of a path. How hard is that? Just beaten down. A, a heart that is beaten down and hard. Um, when the enemy comes and takes away the word, if the word falls on the path, the enemy takes it. It doesn't even get to take root and they, are not be- they do not believe and they are not saved. On the rocky ground, now rocky ground has some good soil there. But along with the good soil, there's places of huge hard-heartedness. There's, there's rocks in there. It needs to be tilled. It needs to be plowed. And so it says, with the seed falls on the rocky ground, these are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. And it just starts to, to, to spring up out of that shallow ground. But, um, but they have no root because it hits those hard places. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The hard places in their life or the hard moments and unredeemed places in their heart, when the time of testing comes, the roots don't go down deep enough and they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear God's word, but as they go on their way, which means as you go through your life, as you leave this place and go to the next, as you go on your way, the word is choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and it never matures. You know, I, not, not this church and not you guys, but I've dealt with this in the past where I've been sitting in a church service and I've heard something, the word came and hit my heart and I was like, that's great. And, and, and something happens, by the time I say hello to everybody and goodbye to everybody and get to my car, and by the time I'm pulling out and I'm driving down the road and already thinking about the football game or whatever else I have to do that day, I, the word that I had in this place is gone. It already choked out, already replaced by, by the worries or the concerns or the pleasures that I have going on in my life. Anybody ever experienced that where you leave a moment and, and, and that moment was just there? It don't take it with you. But the seed that falls in the good soil stands for those with a good heart who hear the word and retain it and by persevering produce a crop. It seems to me, and the Bible is clear, that Your heart, our heart, has a lot to do with our faith walk. What do you hold in your hands? Well, you hold your heart. What do you have? You have a heart. It makes me stop and pause. How is the seed from today's message going to fall in your life? Is it going to hit the path? Is it going to take up root and it's going to be great and it's meaningful and then the testing comes and it's, it's gone? Is it going to mean a lot to us and then, and then as we leave the concerns of the day, as we go on our way, it's, if our heart actually has a, a big role to play in this, which it seems Jesus would say it does, then why don't we stop and pray? And why don't we offer God our heart in this time and ask that he would plant it deeply within us and change us? So Father, we come before you and we give you permission no, we, we, we more than that, we ask you to speak to us. We ask your word would, would dwell deep within us and take root. We ask today that, um, Lord, that you would soften the soil of our heart. I pray that this would go deep and it would produce a crop in Jesus' name, amen. What's in your hand? Your heart. The very soil that God's word could go redemption and revival and transformation in is your heart. Deuteronomy 4.29, talking more about the importance of your heart, says this. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. And the Hebrew here is very kind of unclear. The word all means all. (laughs) Yeah. When you seek him with all of your heart, 
which is intimidating at times. When, when have you ever sought anything with all of your heart? And what does it look like? What does it feel like? How do you seek God with all of your heart? Let me ask you, do you seek him with all of your heart? Going even deeper, one level, you know, here at the Orchard, our vision is to love God and love people. It's simple, but it comes from a verse in the Bible where Jesus is, Jesus is talking about what matters most, and he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love people as yourselves. And he says the entire Bible hangs on this. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So if you have a heart around, you want you to grab it. A heart in front of you, a behind you, everyone grab one. If you don't have one, get up and look where there's empty chairs. There's lots of them over here. There's lots of them around. Everyone get a heart. Some of you, this is, never mind. We keep going. <laughs> Not heartless at all, are you? As you hold a heart in your hands, as the symbol of today's message, what do you have in your hands? Well, I have my heart. How much of your heart do you love God with? How much is God's? It's amazing how we go through life and what often happens is we begin to give our heart away to things that we shouldn't. That's why the Bible says guard your heart above all things because all of your life will flow out of it. What happens if you start to give your heart away to some other things? And there's totally appropriate things that we give our heart to in totally inappropriate ways. Work is appropriate, but giving your heart to work is inappropriate. Recreation is important and appropriate, but giving your heart to recreation is not. Then there's relationships that maybe we should or shouldn't, and there's relationships that we shouldn't give our heart in a certain way. We need to have some boundaries. There's all, all these variables, but remember the verse, above all else, guard your heart. Well, how much of your heart is God's? He asks us to love him with all of our heart. So we have this, as you go through life, and you have your heart, and then you get a job, and then you like your job, and then job starts to be very important to you and hmm that's that's for work and then and then first and this is not everybody obviously but for, for many of us we go oh 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 money now money I'm not I'm not I don't, I'm not greedy I don't need a lot of money but but it is very important and I do a lot for it and I like to have it and, and so there and then we have then we have things like our reputation and um and we have like what people think of us and and that can for some of us that could be a lot more than we're willing to admit huh our insecurities, and what people think of us. That piece right there, that, that, that gives a lot of my energy. Then we have different things like our fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety we don't often give our heart to, but as they become a, a reality in our life, our heart, fear and anxiety just comes in and takes with it what it wants. And we have this part of our heart that is ruled by anxiety. We've given it away and turned it over and it's almost captive to those things. Then we have, we have all these different things. We have recreation and me time. And then, then there's people who give their hearts to other relationships or people that they shouldn't or they're crossing boundaries they shouldn't in relationships. So we're giving our, our heart away and you give your part of your heart away to somebody because it, you know, it's, it's the first two weeks of the relationship and it's just awesome and then they give it back a month later and it is not how you gave it to them. And It's bruised. We've all been there. It's bruised. It's, it's crushed. They don't care for it the way you did, and you, you get it back, and, and okay. And, and I have to go love someone else with this now? This is what you gave me back? 
And, and, and then so we keep going and we go through life and, and pretty soon we have this life that is made up of, of these, this, this divided, fractured heart with different affections for different things and, and some of it's just woundedness. is wounds from childhood. Wounds from our childhood that, that maybe no one knows about that just takes a part of your heart and goes, yeah, that's not gonna ever be open for anything. So then we have all, we have this, and what happens with this heart when we go through life? And this is natural life stuff. This happens to people. This happens to me. This happens to us. As you go through life, what this does, this kind of fractured heart in life produces anxiety. As we see anxieties coming more and more, it, it produces, for some of us, diminishes us and, and has us in depression. As as we are looking at the pieces of our life. And then for others of us, you know, we have, we have um, paralyzing fear of failure. And, and then we have these pieces that people just mess with us and didn't treat us the way we deserved. And we have bitterness for this. And we don't trust people because of this. I will not give this away again. Because look what happens. We go through life isolated. We, sink, we seek temporary escape and vices and other bad decisions, and eventually we find ourselves with a lack of peace, and more importantly, a lack of hope, because hope is the scariest thing in the world, because hope asks you to actually engage this again, and when you're tired of engaging it, and you're used to getting it crushed and torn and wounded, I'm not going to hope anymore. I'm going to do the best I can with the piece of heart that I got left that I feels good, and I'm just going to keep moving on. It diminishes our call on God. And then I get to church, and for an hour on Sunday, I get there, and for an hour, I, I pull out the part of my heart that I, I um, feel like is God's. I get to wipe some stuff off it sometimes from the other stuff I'm doing. And then, and then you know, and then and we get there, and we, 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 we hear from God, and then we sing even, and we, we sing, and then we do what I've done many times. At the close or at the end or with communion, I sit there with what's, what's left of this part of my heart for God in my hand and I go, God, do something. Like, have you ever had that prayer? Does that Hail Mary prayer? God, will you just like fix me? Will you just like do everything? Like when we show up and we just do a Hail Mary, like please make it all right. Because I've made it so wrong. And we have those moments, and there's so often I'll come here and I'll just ask for a Hail Mary, and then I, I put it back in my pocket, and I go back to my life, and I go back to my, how I'm living, and then on Sunday I come back, and, and, I, and I pull out my, my heart again for the church and, and for God, and I, I worship, and I, I, my faith is here. And my faith life becomes this small, diminished part of me. And my, my heart forgot, my faith, my hope, everything is right here. I'm, God, it's yours. I don't know if you want this stuff. Um, and this is a pattern. This is a pattern that we live in. It's a pattern I have lived in. It's a pattern that we're tempted to still live in. And when we look like this, when we go through life and these things occur, we begin to look more like Moses. And we begin to look less like Moses and more like the children of Israel. He was sent to help. We don't look like the people who are gonna go save and cause redemption. We look at the people like, I, I need, I need God, I need saving. This is, this is what I look like. This is what my heart looks like. And sometimes when we've had enough, we've just had enough of relationships and wounds and the stuff we keep doing and these things that cause us to keep going back to the patterns of life that we've had. We say, you know what? That's it, enough. Enough. I am never doing that, whatever that is, again. I'm gonna make good choices. I'm gonna get healthy. I'm gonna get my life back together. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose joy and I'm gonna follow my heart. 
and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak my truth, and I'm going to stop my vices, I'm going to um, engage with my family more, and, I'm gonna, and we just have this list of things, and, I, and I'm not going to live out of a divided heart anymore. So we engage our will, and we ask our will to fight a battle our heart was meant to fight. We step out and say, never again. I'm going to be different. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to equip myself to just do better. And we say no. And we say no to the things we need. We no, 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 no. But the will gets tired. And we say no, no. And then we say maybe, maybe. Okay, yes. And we're back in the cycle again with new pieces being torn off and more of our heart being wounded and taken and handed away. And the pattern repeats itself. It's not just you, it's me, it's every one of us. It's the humans. It's the children of Israel. They live this. In fact, Paul, Paul who wrote most of the New Testament under the guidance of the Holy Spirit says this, listen to this. He writes in words what my heart often feels. I feel like he's, as he's writing this, he's, he's speaking through tears. He says, I obviously need help. I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I can decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but guess what? I do it anyway. He says, Something's gone, something has gone deeply wrong within me that gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's almost predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin trips me up. And I've tried everything. I've tried everything. I've been to services. I've been to this. I've read the books. I've gone to the groups. I've tried everything. And nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there nothing? Is there no one who can help me? And Orchard, I gotta ask you, what, what is the hope? How do we get out of this vicious cycle? This cycle is all of us in some ways. Engaging our wheel, failing, wondering where our heart is. And have you ever looked back at your life and you realize you're not who you were and you don't even know if you're who you're meant to be because you've been through so much? You end up like this with jaded and protected heart that's wounded and you're like, this is not, I don't know if this is who I'm supposed to be. I don't know if this is how I'm supposed to be. How did, how did I get here? How do we get out of this cycle? How do we find some hope in this Paul keeps writing, perhaps through tears, what a miserable person I am. Who can free me from this life of sin? I wonder how long he sat there after he wrote that, when he just wrote this part of this. What a miserable person am I? Who can save me? And I wonder if he stood up and walked. If he said, I, I don't know. But he sits back down, he puts the pen to the parchment to answer the question, and it sounds like Sunday school. It sounds like Sunday school. But when the truth of this falls on good soil, it grows a crop of hope and redemption unlike any other. Paul asks, who can save me? And he answers, he says this, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Not just that he can. We know God can do all things. He does. Who can save me from this? He, Christ does. There is a way to a full heart, a refreshed heart, a strong and whole heart. And there is one who can repair the heart that's broken. There's one who can redeem anything that has been lost. The worst parts of your heart from your childhood that have been crushed. 
There is one who can redeem this. And like Paul, I don't say this flippantly because in my own life, I have seen the miracle of my heart transforming and being returned to me. I I speak of this with full confidence because I have lived it and experienced it. You see, I've lost my heart. I've, I've been broken. I have injured my own heart and my life through bad decisions. Self-loathing that comes with that. All the things that we, the shame and the guilt we don't like to think about. I have lived with bitterness and vice for people who've betrayed me and trampled what was precious to me. And I've been bitter about that and unforgiving at times. And I made a vow at one point as I looked at my heart, what was left? And I made a vow. And I said, I will never let anyone hurt me like that again. Ever. And I put my heart away. And I walked through life with a stone heart that nothing could touch. No person's gonna hurt me. But I'm not gonna let God open up anything else either. I was so angry at him because of all this. But through it all, the Holy Spirit pursued me. The Holy Spirit called me. Through my brokenness, in my brokenness, he called me. He invited me home to the Heavenly Father, who I was mad at, but in the end, I was just mad at myself, and I just hated myself. My heart was fractured and I held a bunch of pieces from different phases of my life and I did not recognize the heart that I held. But God pursued me in tenderness. God's words in the book of Hosea speak to what I experienced and many of you as well. God says this, therefore I am now going to allure you I will lead you into the wilderness. A wilderness is a place where it's not, there's not the busyness of life. A wilderness is like a, um, a desert season where what, what you once had isn't there. You ever been in a season and like I don't, it's a desert, it's a wilderness. God leads us into the wilderness. I will lead you to the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to you. If you today find yourself in a desert or wilderness season, Perhaps stop bemoaning it and look up in hope because it could be that God led you there to build into you the very thing you need to get your heart back for what he has next for you. If you're in a desert wilderness season, look for the heart of God in it because he will take us to these places and he will speak tenderly to us to repair us. He's not done. I will give you back your vineyards. I will give you back that which you lost and I will make the valley of trouble and pain a door of hope. What if he makes the very things that wounded you a door of hope to what he wants to do in and through you? He says he makes the valley of trouble a door of hope. He says this, and there, there you will respond like you did in the days of your youth. In the days of my youth, when I was unwounded and unjaded, I was full of trust and love. I was so idealistic. If God said anything, I would just go do it. I didn't care about reputation. I didn't care about anything. I would, I, when I was a kid, I responded with a complete passion. And I read that. And I was like, are you kidding me? I don't have any left for you, God. Have you seen what happened in my life? 
But as God wooed me and as my heart responded, I found that I did respond in the ways that I had. And all the woundedness and the jadedness, it seems like, listen, it seems like a Sunday school answer to say, Jesus can heal your heart. But I just want to tell you this. Jesus just isn't just a warm, fuzzy belief. The Holy Spirit isn't just a theory. I have seen and experienced the healing power of God to redeem my heart, and many of you have as well. Many of you seen in your life how he takes the worst of the worst and somehow through his glory and his goodness and his sovereignty leads us to a place that is not where we were. Some of you right now are in places of incredible pain and loss and you're wondering how can God redeem this? He promises he will redeem it for those who love him. It's not just Sunday school. It's not just warm fuzzies. I have seen it. I have tasted it. I have experienced it. I have lived the redemption that Jesus offers. I pursued him with all of my heart and I found through the journey, through this journey of of, of starting here and and having God begin to, to, to change me and heal me, I found a sacrificial savior who gave up his life so that I could have life. Listen, salvation is not just a religious word. It's a real, in, real life invitation to a way of living that doesn't let the world tell you any longer who you are. And redemption isn't just a religious word. It's the free offer of Jesus for those who say, my heart is yours. And he can do what we cannot. And he can do what only he can do. Through Jesus, I got my heart back and I experienced tangible peace. And if you had known me 10 to 15 years ago, you would not know that I could experience that or authentic joy and today I live with true hope. Hope that I will not be who I am today. Hope that God is changing my future and and hope that no matter what my future holds, he holds me. That's where I live. The world battles against all those things, but perhaps today you need to get your heart back. Perhaps today you want your fractured heart renewed. You you know this side of the story. You've lived this for decades. Maybe today God's saying, it's time for something different. David in Psalm 86, 11, one of my favorite verses, he prays to God and he says, give me an undivided heart. What a prayer, what a prayer to pray to God, give me an undivided heart. When your heart's not divided, you can love God with all of it. When your heart's not divided, you can seek God with all of it. So pray, give me an undivided heart and take back those pieces that you've loaned out. No matter how dirty they are, get get them back and see what God does with the heart. If we're to be a church that God is calling us to be. What we need from this message is is a fresh work of God, not a fresh promise of the will. The worst case scenario today is that you leave here with your jaw set, promising to really buckle down and try hard at this Christianity thing. That's not what God wants from you, and that will not do anything for you. Don't leave here just promising, I'm gonna get out of here and start saying no to all those bad things. This isn't about saying no to the wrong, the wrong things. This is about saying yes to the most important thing. And again, this is an easy, situ- easy illustration. When, when in my heart of hearts, I said yes to Amy, when I said yes to Amy as my bride, 
that one yes dictated a million no's. Sorry, ladies. I said one yes, but it was the right yes. Listen, the right yes sends the no to everything else. I don't go through life going, no, 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 no. I go through life affirming my yes. And that handles all the no's for me. Affirm the yes. Take it out of terms of marriage and apply it to your life with Jesus and the things that try to divide our heart. You know, you can go through life saying no, 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 no to the millions of offers and temptations and moments and actions and it's exhausting. It is exhausting to go through life just no, 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 no. It, it's, it's only willpower. It's spiritual growth by just say no. It's called the gospel of sin management and God never called us to that. He takes our sin a lot of us go through life just thinking, I gotta say no, gotta say no. That's the gospel of sin management. What about instead if you just said yes to the right thing, the right one? When you say yes to purity, it makes a lot of decisions for you. When I say yes to purity, I don't have to go around going, no, 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 no. I just say yes to purity. Say yes to sobriety, and it makes a lot of the, it, that one yes can make a lot of decisions for you. When in your heart of hearts, you say yes to Jesus and to following Jesus, that yes leads you down a path of redemption. So I would say this, spend the moments of your life saying yes to him. As often as you can, affirm your yes to his way. When you are tempted, Maybe don't even say no, just go, yes, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. May your yes dictate where you go. May your yes dictate your decision. The right yes is transforming. The right yes is explosive. And the right yes is more powerful than a million no's. So say yes to what matters most. The true heart's cry yes to the savior of the world opens a narrow road to redemption and that's a sacred path and it's worth your life. Orchard, grab your heart, put it in your hands. You have had your heart your whole life. It's been wounded, it's been broken, it's perhaps broken right now but you have to look at it and know that you have been resilient. It's been inspired and it's been let down. It's led you in some of your best moments of your life and it's made some of the worst decisions you could ever imagine. It is the inner core, it is who you are, it's your truest self and your truest identity. You listen to it daily and the reality is that this becomes ordinary among the noise of life. What's in your hand? Something very ordinary to you. It is your heart. It is your identity. It's the truest part of you. And as you hold it in your hands, God asked you a question. He asked you the question he asked Moses. Son, daughter, what's in your hand? Have you given your heart to God fresh, new? Have you given your heart to God recently? I don't care if you got saved at middle school at camp or last week. Recently, have you affirmed your yes to your Savior? Have you said, here is my heart? Some of you have been 
so wounded and so injured to the point where you don't know if you can give your heart to God. I've been there. I don't know if I even trust God with this. I want to remind you of some things. Psalm 147.3, it says that God heals the brokenhearted. Psalm 34.18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, which means if you're here today and your heart is broken, he's close. And he's calling you right now in this moment to trust him anew. What's in your hands? Lay down the ordinary and see what God does as he takes what you have had a lifetime of doing this to it and you lay it down before God and he does what he does. Luke 4, God, Jesus gets up to do his first public speaking. He's gonna proclaim his mission And in short, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and anointed me to preach the good news and to heal the brokenhearted. Part of Jesus' mission statement was to heal the brokenhearted. If you're here today with the fractured, broken heart, you're in the right place. Perhaps you're feeling that you've done too many bad things. You've given away way too many pieces of your heart and you've done stuff that no one should ever know about. Hold your heart in your hands. Psalm 51.10, David did this and he wrote, create in me a clean heart, O God. This is the words of a murderer and an adulterer. He said, God, create in me a clean heart. And he laid down what he had. He laid down the ordinary to see God do the extraordinary. 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Acts 3.19, turn back to God. And perhaps today you just need to realize you need to turn back to God. He welcomes you home, no condemnation. Turn back to God so your sins can be wiped out and the times of refreshing can come. Today could be a new day for many of you. My hope is this, is that we take this moment and give our hearts to God afresh. The Holy Spirit right now is asking you, give your heart to him. If you've before prayed for salvation, that's okay. Have you affirmed your yes? Have you recommitted? Have you, whatever the word you want to use, have you just said, Jesus, my heart is yours. I stray, I make decisions, I lay my heart down for you. Maybe today you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never decided that he is my savior. Well, today it's easy. You know that he died on the cross and resurrected and that through him we have eternal life with God and that through him we have redemption of our hearts. This is his offer. And so today I'm going to ask us to do something in response as the band comes out. And this is for everybody, whether you have been in church your entire life or this is your first time and you're just coming to a big light bulb moment. Hold your heart in your hand. And if you, just today, just today, if you want to pray today, Lord, here is my heart, fresh and new. I give it to you today. I want you to stand up. And I want you to put your hand over your heart. You know the wounds you've taken. You you know the scars that are there. You know the fears. You know the places you don't have hope. You know the things in life that you missed out on, you feel. Pray with me. Pray after me. Jesus. 
forgive me for my divided heart. Heal my heart. Redeem my heart. Give me an undivided heart. Jesus, I know that you died and rose again. I give you my heart. And Holy Spirit, I ask you, fill me. Full. More. More than I've ever experienced. Heal my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.